0: continue to take action. And this goes through all different property types is just continue to take action and keep moving forward.
1: Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any fluffy stuff with us today. Kevin McGrath, how you doing, Kevin? Doing great, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm glad to hear that. It's my pleasure. A little bit about Kevin. He's a principal at Cardinal Industrial, started investing in 2005. He invests in industrial, real estate, and multifamily. He's involved in 10 investments right now, both as an LP and GP, based in Del Mar, California. You can go to his website. It's going to be linked in the show notes of this episode. With that being said, Kevin, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus?
0: Sure. Thanks again for having me. My current focus is industrial real estate. I got started in commercial real estate full-time as a broker in 2007 in Columbus with Colliers International. That was my, again, first foray into real estate full-time. I started investing in 2005, investing in a flip. And then after we sold the flip, we put that money into a mixed-use commercial property that turned out to be an absolute dog. We can talk maybe a little bit more about that. But I spent most of my career in brokerage up until about two years ago, where I made the transition from brokerage into full time investing with where I am now with Cardinal Industrial. We acquire mainly single tenant, net lease industrial assets across the country, typically focused geographically in the Midwest, Southeast and the industrial market has been really, really competitive for the last couple of years. So we have to uh, search far and wide and rely on our our broker relationships to get deals, but it's been really, really fun so far.
1: For someone who's not familiar and is listening to the industrial space or anything commercial outside of multifamily, will you elaborate on what you mean when you say single tenant, net lease, industrial?
0: Sure. So industrial as a whole, When someone thinks industrial, they might think older manufacturing or an auto plant. And certainly that that's an aspect of it. It's a small, probably 10, 15% of the overall industrial market is that type of asset. A lot of the product that is out there today and people might read about is more distribution related where companies are more focused on distribution and logistics. And a typical warehouse being built today is about 250,000 square feet or larger and the industrial market is certainly has gotten more mainstream in the last five or seven years with the advent and the acceleration of e-commerce. I mean, it's really, really taken off.
1: Okay. How do you make money as an industrial investor?
0: There's more than one way to make money. And it's similar to multifamily where there could be a value-add component. So for example, there are single-tenant industrial buildings, meaning if there's a building that's 100,000 square feet, There's one company that occupies all 100,000 square feet. And then there's also multi-tenant industrial where that same 100,000 square foot type building could be occupied by three different tenants occupying just over 30,000 square feet each. And the value add component there could be that you buy this building and only two thirds of the building is currently leased. So there's a 33,000 square foot vacancy and it's upon you as the owner to come in and lease least the unbalanced space. And there's the value add right there because you're buying it at a basis where it's going to be less, where the income is going to be less than if it was 100% occupied.
1: So why don't you do multi-tenant instead of single-tenant?
0: We're starting to. I would say probably 80% of our portfolio is single-tenant. 20% is probably multi-tenant. It's pros and cons with everything, right, Joe? So with the multi-tenant, you get a little diversity. So if one tenant moves out, you're not holding the bag for the entire building. But there's also more risk there as well with management. And then also the single tenant net lease deals that we're buying typically have long lease terms, seven years or longer. So there's built in stability there. And a lot of times the multi tenant buildings, not always, but most of the time, have shorter lease terms, typically Why? five years or less. Because it, companies don't like to sign long term leases if they don't have to. And typically when they go into a single tenant building, not always, but sometimes it could be either a build to suit transaction for them. And it only makes financial sense for the developer constructing that building if it's 10 years
1: of lease or longer. Okay. Clearly there's parallels to single family homes and apartment buildings, right? (laughs) Yeah, I think everyone's connecting the dots there where you're talking about, oh, multi-tenant, you could have someone move out, but you'd still be able to have some income versus a single is not the case. You said there's more risk in management with multi-tenant. What do you mean by that?
0: Well, with the management risk, not I shouldn't say risk. It's just more uh, work. Yeah, it's more work. And then let me go back to the single tenant. We buy a single tenant. We buy them with substantial reserves in place. So typically in the deals that we acquire, If we're not negotiating the leases in the leases themselves, they will have renewal options for the tenant and the tenant will have to give the landlord six to nine to sometimes 12 months notice if they're going to renew or not. If they don't exercise that renewal option, that's when we would go out and start marketing that space for lease. So for example, if there was a nine month window where the tenant has to give us notice if they're going to renew or not, and they don't, we go out and we start marketing the space. So that gives us nine months to find a tenant. And then on the back end. If we're not able to find a tenant in that nine month period, we have built in reserves another six to nine months on the back end. So that gives us anywhere from 12 months to almost two years to find a tenant, which is typically enough time to backfill it. And a lot of times what we found when we backfill it, you backfill it with a better tenant, with better credit, and you get a higher rental rate. So the building value increases pretty dramatically. And and there, that's a value add component right there in itself.
1: We'll get back to the show in just two minutes, but first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. As your portfolio grows, you need financial management services you can rely on to help you save money and continue making the right choices for your company's future. Realestateaccounting.co's top-tier CFO team uses their deep industry and operating experience to guide real estate syndicators, investors, and family offices through every pivotal moment and crucial decision. Their fractional CFO services include budget to actual, cash flow and distributions, and reporting and valuation. Go to realestateaccounting.co forward slash CFO to find out why REA is one of the fastest growing real estate accounting companies around. The real estate experts provide timely analysis and consultations to help you make the most informed decisions possible. See and trust where your portfolio is headed with the customized financial reports or assist you to diversify your investments in multifamily. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how they help working professionals just like you transform their future through partnering and community. In fact, the majority of real estate investors who partner with Think Multifamily get involved in a general partnership within six months. Thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching highlights the partnerships, joint ventures, and resources all available through the coaching program. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how to become a member and get involved. When you say built-in reserves, is that money that your team, the general partnership and limited partners brought to it or built-in reserves from? Okay, got it. So I really don't want to dip into those built-in reserves then. No, definitely not, but they're there if we need them. Got it. Why not have six to nine months built-in for notice in multi-tenant? Is that just not a common thing? No, it is as well. Okay. So regardless, single or multi-tenant, you should have at least six months, upwards to 12 months notice when the tenant wants to leave. Exactly.
0: Typically, the shorter the lease term up front, the less notice that they'll they'll have to give. Yeah.
1: Okay. All right. Why industrial? Why not apartments? Well, I think for what I do full-time, I've been in the
0: industrial space since 2007. So the easy answer, is really all I know. Uh-huh. And it just so happens that for the first five years I was in the business, the, the industrial market, it got hurt like most other sectors during the Great Recession. And yeah, there were a lot of times when I was questioning what I was doing. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you would look at multifamily, you say, hmm, would that be better? Or would office be better? But I, I tell you what, really since 2015, 2016, I would say that industrial has performed as good, if not better than any other sector. This last year in in 2020 with COVID, it's performed extremely, extremely well with all that's been going on. So more or less, I just lucked into it and fell into it. And it's turned out to work out really well. Having said all that, I invest passively in multifamily deals as well. So I'm not exclusive to industrial. I still invest in other sectors and I believe in other sectors. But if someone's out there who wants to diversify a little bit, industrial has been a really, really solid market the last five to seven
1: years. I'm a broker you've been speaking to, and I send you an industrial opportunity. What are the things that you must have in order for you to pursue it further? Talk a little bit about that, please.
0: Sure. I'll talk about the physical asset. I know I can look at a deal or a building and know within a couple of glances if it's going to work or not. The buildings that we're looking at, we want them to be as generic as possible. And what that means is that if they were to ever go vacant, yeah, we want them to be able to work for as wide a pool of industrial occupiers as possible. Mm-hmm. So, to put it in kind of layman's terms for people not as familiar with industrial, generic to me means again, I'll go back to for an example, a hundred thousand square foot building.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We want most of that to be warehouse, so maybe a 5%, five percent, five thousand square feet of office or less, with <laughs> the remainder to be warehouse. You want as many dock doors as possible. Mm -hmm. That allows for the occupier to have as efficient of shipping and receiving area as they can. And you want the building to be as tall as possible. So that means 28 clear height or taller. The buildings being built today are are, are much taller than they were 20 years ago.
1: Why is that? Just stack stuff higher? Yeah, exactly. It's
0: more efficient. Companies rack product in the warehouse and they're not paying for the space the higher they go up, right? They're paying for it as they go out, but they're not paying for it the higher they go. Mm -hmm. So the buildings being built today, again, are 36, sometimes 40 foot clear. And that's just because they can be way more efficient with their space in their pocketbooks.
1: In Atlanta, near Lawrenceville, Amazon did Project Rocket. Are you familiar with that? a 70 foot tall building. I have heard of some of those.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of that is mezzanine space. So yeah, Amazon is utilizing as much of the inside shell as possible. Just because again, it's more efficient and it's the way of the future. Mm-hmm. Okay. Again, going back 30 years back in the late seventies, early eighties, it was really common for them to be 18 foot clear, 18 to 22. That was always the-, the That's a hard
1: for pass people. for you? Not necessarily. It depends where it
0: is and it depends what they're storing in there. So definitely not a hard pass, but there's got to be something else to it.
1: Okay. All right, please continue on what you're looking for. So, in this example, 100,000 square foot building, yeah, mostly warehouse, very little office space. Yeah, very little dock As many dock
0: doors as, as possible.
1: As tall as possible, at least yeah, 28 feet.
0: 26, 28, clear or higher. I would say enough auto parking on the exterior. For a 100,000 square foot building, you, you would probably want 80 stripes car parking spaces or more. Mm -hmm. One thing we're finding today with the explosion of e-commerce, they're much more labor-intensive facilities, so they have a a lot more people working there. So they they need way more car parking spaces than buildings of old. So you have a lot more trailer parking on the exterior, you have a lot more car parking. So they need bigger pieces of land on which to be built. But for for a 100,000 square foot building that I'm looking at, that's not a a deal killer because e-commerce is only 20, 25% of the overall market. So I would say, again, as vanilla as possible. Yeah. And, and the way I can compare this is if you're going to look at a residential house and the houses that tend to stay on the market longer are the ones that are really contemporary or really modern, a little bit funky.
1: Yep.
0: Those are the type of industrial buildings that we don't want. Ones that are built specifically for a user that is kind of in a niche industry.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So if that building were ever to go vacant, you're looking for that niche buyer again. So you're looking for a needle in a haystack. And I learned all of this back in the Great Recession when there was a lot of supply and very little demand. The buildings that were being leased quickly or sold quickly, again, were the ones that were the most vanilla and had the largest buyer and tenant pool.
1: Dumb question, but why does it matter if it's generic on the inside if you're going to get a build-the-suit tenant? What do you mean a build-the-suit tenant? Well, uh... Earlier, we were talking about if you find a prospective tenant, at least I thought we were talking about this. If you find the prospective Mm -hmm. tenant and you get under contract with them to build out what they're looking for, I see what you're saying. Then why does it matter if you're buying a generic property if ultimately you're going to be getting a tenant who is going to build out what they want anyway? Well, when they build it
0: out on the interior, it all looks the same, Joe. They're just racking on the interior. So. You could walk into a warehouse and not know who the tenant is, and they're all going to kind of look the same. They all kind of do the same thing, essentially. So we're not building anything out on the interior. We might put some neutral carpet and new carpet, new paint in the office. And besides that, we don't do anything. We would maybe upgrade the lighting if it needs it. And that's really about it. Make sure everything's in good working order. And then it's kind of plug and play for any tenant. And that's what I mean by generic. There's not much we have to do as owners On the interior, it's already been done. It's just one open box. Does that make sense?
1: That does. Thank you. Going back to what you mentioned earlier, after your 2005 flip, you got into mixed-use commercial property that you call a dog. Yeah. How much did you lose, and why did you lose it?
0: We bought it in 2005. I ended up getting out of it three years
1: ago. Wow! So, I know, I know. It wasn't you, did, one of those you deal- didn't you didn't rip that Band-Aid off. You kind of just it was a slow burn. No, no, no. Trust me, we, I tried.
0: I tried so many times. I, I lost count.
1: How much did you lose? And how did you it's, lose it? You
0: know, I probably lost forty to fifty grand. So it's not the amount of money at okay. the time. I didn't really have it, but it's not the amount of money. It was the length of time I had it. So imagine having a dog property for that oh. long. The mental anguish, right? Yeah. I ended up with two partners of mine. They're buddies from high school. They weren't in real estate. They didn't know anything about real estate. They looked at me because I was the real <laughs> estate guy at the time. I didn't know what the heck to do with a mixed use commercial property. So I was the one who had the responsibility of always leasing it out. We went through tenants left and right. So it took so much of my time. And our mortgage was only like twelve hundred bucks a month. So I guess that was the saving grace. But it was just more than anything, the mental anguish. And I think they still own it today. I'm not sure. I paid $10,000 to get out of it, and mm-hmm. still to this day, that's probably over my 13-year career, the, the most pleasure I felt in the <laughs> transaction getting out of that deal. It's true. All
1: right, so yeah. w- if you had to do it over again, and you were deciding to purchase this yeah. property, what yeah. would you have done differently prior to the transaction to set it up correctly?
0: Besides not buying it, I'm not sure if we could have done anything differently. You just buy it for less, I guess. What happened? Why did it lose money? There's two properties on the parcel. There was a house up front and in the back, it was built specifically as a music recording studio. Okay. <laughs> so it was about a 2,000, 2,500 square foot structure that was built specifically for a music recording studio. So we had everyone in there from the initial guy blew out. We bought it at Sheriffson in, in Columbus. So we thought we were getting a good deal. And it was located right inside the outer belt in Columbus, right across from a Lowe's, right next to a Waffle House. Mm-hmm. So we thought the location was okay at the time. And then when the initial tenant moved out, we had a couple other music recording people in there. And then we had a church, we had some office use type tenants, and it was just musical chairs of uh, mm-hmm. different tenants through the years that I all... Were they
1: all using as recording? No.
0: One was using as a church, one general office, and nothing stuck.
1: Huh. Why didn't anyone stick around? I don't
0: know. I just think that in nature of that industry, the music recording studio. Well, no, I get
1: yeah. that. I think that's obvious. I'm recording yeah. this podcast, right. uh, You know, looking at some water in Marco Island. So I get that. But yeah. when it was repurposed, why didn't the church stay? Why didn't the other tenants stay? Good
0: Is it question. the location? The location was probably suspect. It was on a busy street, South High Street in South Columbus. So busy location and the access in and out of it was difficult again because it was a residential house in front you got to the rear property through a shared driveway okay it just given me nightmares thinking about it <laughs> <laughs> okay. i used to go down there like on gray cold january days and i'd be like what am i doing with my life
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it would just make me question real estate investing at this time this was the only property, only deal I was in. And my buddies were starting to have a lot of success with what they were doing. And it was just a low period for me.
1: Oh, well, bravo for getting out of there. So the lessons learned from my standpoint is <laughs> it's just awkward to get to because you have to pass by a single family house. And that's very weird for a church to be there. Really, any yeah. business. There was business. no parking. Exactly. Yeah. So lack of parking and unconventional way to get there. Plus the area didn't sound like it's the best area. So okay, it's not cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's helpful. And now that we <laughs> have officially stressed you out, but as a reminder to you that you no longer are in that property. So there we go. Thank you. I woke um, up from
0: my nightmare. Yeah.
1: What is your best real estate investing advice ever for investors as it relates to your industrial experience?
0: I would say continue to take action. And this goes through all different property types it's, Just continue to take action and keep moving forward. Like we just talked about with bad property that I was involved with, I could have easily quit and I certainly thought about it, but keep moving forward because whoever is listening is destined to do great things. And I'm just really grateful that things have turned
1: out well for me. We're going to do a lightning round real quick. Are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Yes, let's do it. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Mark your calendars for the Best Ever Conference February 24th through 26th back in person at the Gaylord Rockies Convention Center. Join the experienced community and phenomenal speakers for a weekend of learning the best commercial real estate strategies, building relationships, and quite frankly, having a lot of fun. As a bonus, once you purchase your ticket, you are put into a mini mastermind group to start making connections with other commercial real estate investors immediately. Get the lowest prices right now at besteverconference.com. That's besteverconference.com. What's the best ever book you've recently read? I've been reading and listening a lot to Abraham Hicks. Doesn't okay. sound like you're familiar with it. No, I'm, I'm doing a little Google search. After yeah, you. it's a husband and wife,
0: and they've been around for a while. The personal development kind of more spiritual-based. I'll yeah. check it
1: out. What is the best ever way you'd like to give back to the community?
0: Volunteering. I've been involved coaching Special Olympics for probably the last seven, eight years, and I love it.
1: How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? The easiest way is
0: I have a personal website, which is just McGrathindustrial.com. And if they want to sign up to see some of the deals that we have, they want to get on our distribution list, they can do that there.
1: Awesome. And that is the website I have in the show notes. So best ever listeners, you can go check that website out. Kevin, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for educating us on industrial, specifically what you look for and why you look for it and the pros and cons of single versus multi-tenant and industrial, as well as a lesson learned a long time ago on the mixed-use property that you no longer own, just as a reminder (laughs) to you. (laughs) Thanks for being on the show. Hope you have the best ever day and talk to you again soon. Thanks, Joe.